Hello and welcome to another episode of the PD Performance Podcast. Today's podcast is with Shane Story of Story Strength. We had a great chat about his new life in Spain, how his powerlifting training is going at the moment, his transition into becoming a fully online coach, current issues in the health and fitness industry, and his new podcast, which will be coming out soon. As always, I hope you enjoy it. And you all know at this stage, like it, share it, and send it. How are you, man? What's going on? How's Not the day too bad yourself. Asher. Tipping away uh, as much as we can. Yeah, I'm just back from the gym because thankfully gyms are over open over here. So I'm able to train away inside as opposed to outside my back garden like the majority of last year was. So that's pretty nice. A hundred percent. Like everybody here is kind of getting sick of it. I think I went to Herbert Park yesterday and it was absolutely jammed with people training. So you're definitely lucky to have the gyms open. But what were you doing this evening or this morning even? So... I suppose I'm following a powerlifting program because that's what I'm training for at the moment. Um, so today was just high bar squats, RDLs, double pause bench. So at this kind of point within the kind of training program, so the way the kind of training program I'm on kind of works is like it's kind of block periodization in a sense. Mm-hmm. So it has like a building phase that's done over waves. So waves run for four weeks. Uh, and in maybe your first two waves, training is quite it's less specific than it would be coming up to competition. So I'm doing way more variations of like squat bench deadlifts, uh, doing higher frequency of them and way higher volume. So that's where I'm kind of at at the moment. It's kind of a, it's a funner aspect of the powerlifting training because I suppose I'm not necessarily, even though I do powerlifting, peaking and competing is not necessarily the thing I like about it the most. I more enjoy the training element and I suppose like any kind of athlete who might be listening to this can maybe kind of, I don't know, understand when you're coming up to a competition and you're fatigued, like training isn't necessarily too fun. And then even around after the competition, getting back into training is quite slow. Whereas training is the process of kind of getting the results. And that's the kind of element of it that I like the most. The competitions are nice. I mean, they're a nice kind of exhibition, but training is way more fun (laughs) yeah yeah well it's way more fun to a few people like mainly coaches are going to enjoy their training because we get to nerd out over it and stuff like that but um that that's a big perk for you as well given that i suppose you don't know when you're going to be competing again that you can go with a simple kind of block periodization model and um you're probably working but it sounds like you're working on the things that you're kind of not the best at or you're deficient at working at your weaknesses slightly at the moment would that be fair to say yeah, kind of. I suppose like the main the main kind of area that I, I lag in uh, powerlifting at the moment is probably my bench. And like the bench over like the last year has really kind of taken off. And I suppose I have increased my body weight a good bit since 2019. So that definitely has contributed to it. But I've had so much kind of time to build like over the last year. I mean, I've competed once, you know, I competed last in August. So the rest of the time has been spent trying to actually progress and the way the kind of program I'm on at the moment kind of works is like I'm training under as powerlifting and they kind of use a more kind of systemized approach. So they have a program for pretty much everybody. 
however you kind of tweak over time to kind of fit you so the first few times I ran it I kind of ran it as is and then over time I kind of tweaked it around to what kind of suited me and the actual kind of block like the kind of eight week block that I've been running for pretty much the last year has been pretty much unchanged just because block after block my numbers are going up so haven't really seen any reason to kind of make any other changes you know maybe some variation in like accessories so like stuff like tricep work uh, then just some bro stuff <laughs> yeah, for yeah, like shoulders and has to be done. Like the mu- uh, speech muscles so like like some variation there because i suppose that's um it is not necessarily hugely important for the sport but uh, there are things to keep training a bit interesting as well and it's important for up there too when you're walking around to have the bro oh, yeah, stuff course, and the beach yeah. stuff um yeah but uh yeah class uh, that was what i was going to ask as well because obviously you haven't competed since last year and it sounds like going from your your mentality, you're doing the same kind of repeating the block or repeating the cycle over and over again. You're getting benefit out of it. But some people mm-hmm. might find that repetitive. So that was a question yeah. I wanted to ask you was because you're you're not leading up to the competition, has your motivation towards the performance based stuff dipped in peaks and troughs as it does? Or are you the same as all those books um, that you're usually reading and the quotes? Are you very stoic <laughs> in your mentality? And just like um, take each day as it comes. I mean, like there definitely are some days where I'm just training. I'm just like fucking effort of this. Like you know, a few days last week, I definitely pushed and uh, like trained a bit harder than I probably should have. It took the kind of intensity down a bit this week, but like last week was one of those weeks where it's just getting through training. And I suppose that's what it is a lot of the time. It is just kind of a case of getting through it. I suppose like. You don't get any like pats on the back for like or any sympathy if you just like skip off a day of training because you weren't feeling it. like I think those are mainly the days where like you know you kind of almost build more mental resilience. Yeah. No, but in terms of motivation dwindling, um, I would I wouldn't say so. Like I don't think uh, even in the last year I don't think I've missed any kind of training sessions for the last maybe year and a half. I haven't missed any training sessions for any. I suppose internal reason. Like, reason there's been no kind of it's all external yeah factors. internal reason like you know yeah so like maybe if uh if i'm training and say the gym gym's over here closed for uh t- two weeks when i got here so i'm in spain at the moment so uh, gym's closed for two weeks when i got here and obviously i missed some of my actual program days but i managed to do some bodyweight records and stuff like that but i suppose tr- training is just something that it is a kind of habit and I've learned that five, six, seven years ago that if I want to be good at this and I want to have the results I want, I have to make a habit. I have to just do do, do the work. Yeah. A few interesting points I wanted to touch on there. First, it was good that you, I'd say you did the body weight stuff just so you didn't detrain while you were there. Like, and like, as you know, like your training residuals, your max strength isn't going to drop off just from two weeks. Like anyway, you'll be grand. Mm. But um, the other thing I wanted to touch on was you said that the days that you weren't feeling the best and you still get in and do it. I've found from conversation with other coaches as well, like we know ourselves that like those are the important days, as you said, for me- in terms of mental resilience and in terms of just mm. checking in. But sometimes as coaches, when we're not feeling good, we push the RPE a little bit too high. Do you ever struggle oh, yeah. with that? Like and try and pull your have to pull yourself back a little bit. Oh yeah, definitely. I think that I think that's probably something that I've probably struggled a bit more in like the last years, like trying to keep my kind of intensity 
from being too high because like you know you get you get a bit excited when you're getting close to a pb and it's like oh, fuck a load of but the, the main thing i just try to do is not, not miss reps because i suppose from a self-efficacy standpoint if you start missing reps uh, then weights are going to start getting into your head and that's like the last thing you want when you're trying to especially if you're going to be doing competing you're coming yeah. up to a peak and you're maybe the day out like you know if you're if you care about it you're probably going to be thinking about the lifts that you have to do in training the lifts you have to do in the platform and if you're going up to a weight that you have missed before like even if you you could probably do it it still does fuck with your head i remember the last uh, the last competition that i did uh, leading into the competition i ended up getting some like pretty bad tendonitis in like my forearms Oosh. yeah and when you're when you're trying when you're trying to bench and like the last end end range of motion yeah just like the last two inches excruciating pain so coming down to the chest was uh very very difficult and like the two weeks leading into the competition it was just like agony to bench and then coming out to the come up to the competition day completely went uh, but even still, like ingrained in my head was the kind of hesitancy to actually lower the bar down. And it kind of changed my actual, the groove of my bench. And yeah. I ended up doing worse on the competition day than I had done in training. <laughs> yeah. Uh, tendonitis is the worst thing because there's nothing for it other than to moderate, like to manipulate your, your load. Like, and obviously yeah. that's so hard to do. When, when did it flare up? Did you say two weeks running into the competition? Like, yeah, and pretty much every bench session and see we were using um, a squat bar. So the difference between a squat bar and a regular kind of competition bar is like the squat bar I think is about 36 millimeters uh like circumference. So and when bear in mind like a regular bar is about 28. Yeah. So it's quite quite a big difference in terms of like yeah, uh, your hand position. Yeah. Yeah, and like like my 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 hand couldn't fit completely around us to change my wrist position change my elbow position so that definitely contributes to that as well as we're doing <laughs> almost like 30, 30 sets of bench a week so yeah and like you you were probably were you in sort of a taper for that last two weeks so like you were keeping the intensity relatively high but trying to drop the volume and it still was at you like coming into the comp yeah it probably the so the last two weeks when it came when it came on i dropped my bench like frequency from four days to two days and four days of bench a week you fucking yeah yeah four, yeah four day, four days of bench a week yeah four, four days when you're doing like 30 sets uh oh across, across almost, almost over 30 sets yeah um and then yeah coming into competition just dropped the frequency down to two times a week then in the final week i just did my my heavy single so that kind of helped it go but even still just from a psychological standpoint yeah. If you're coming into anything and yet you're feeling kind of nickels you do feel a bit kind of anxious yeah 100 percent. it's really interesting talking about this because i haven't like i haven't worked with any powerlifting athletes before and like coming from like i generally work with team sport athletes some individual sport athletes but it's the general traditional like sports that you like swimming uh football soccer basketball all the like really really popular now i know powerlifting is popular but not amongst uh, it's a niche population population yeah Yeah. yeah. exactly so like like from that point of view externally you think like oh they're just strong blokes they just go in and they lift it do you know like whereas like you're talking all about the psychological the grip strength or the grip position and the different things that can impact your performance on the performing performance or the competition day and like we just wouldn't think about that there's so much that can affect you it's ridiculous yeah sure even like when i 
when I was doing personal training as coaching people in, in the gym, like a lot of the technique work that I would have done would have carried over to being able to train to train people to do as opposed to kind of regular compound lifts. Uh, and it, it definitely did help because it wouldn't have been something that I would have focused on too much before I started doing powerlifting training. Mm-hmm. Like before I got into powerlifting, I was doing more kind of sort of bodybuilding focus work. Yeah. Uh, so I wouldn't have been doing as much frequency. My technique for the things wouldn't have been as taught out. But I suppose yeah. now that you do it, you're really thinking of even like, say for example, on when you're doing a bench press, like what way you're trying to like translate force in the bar. Like yeah. you're trying to like shove your intent outwards or inwards. And same in a squat, like with your feet, like are you trying to push down into the ground, trying to push out to the sides? Like, it, uh, yeah, there's like, there is a lot that can go into it. Um, and that all varies you know, per person so as well, I'd say, does it? Like in terms of how you're uh, going to try and uh, lift the most weight, because obviously you're going to have biases in your anatomy, I guess, that are going to determine mo- how better it is for you to try and squat or try and deadlift and your technique on it. Oh, 100%. But you have people who are, like, I suppose, anatomically built to squat or built to bench or built to deadlift. And, like, it is quite interesting to see because it is, you know, a sport tree lifts and you take your tree lifts to to combine total and then that is your kind of score. So you do have to be kind of all around it. It's interesting to see, like, you know, people who would have huge squats, like, they could be leading at the start of competition and then some, like, guy who fucking like hands down towards his knees <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah comes in and like pull, pulls a deadlift to win the competition like yeah uh, coming from like f- fifth or sixth place so yeah it's, it is pretty it's pretty uh pretty interesting like yeah there's obviously like loads of different types of sizes and and people and as you said like you might have a, de- a really good squat or a really good deadlift but like your bench could be the part where you're lagging behind and then that just means you have to fucking smash your squat or your deadlift and and get your your weight that you'd usually hit on the bench and not try and pb on it because you know say not not particularly you but somebody may be like yeah. oh i'm shit at bench like so i just have to hammer my squat and deadlift today if i'm gonna place high yeah i think a lot, a lot <laughs> bench is probably the one that is like the hardest to progress because i mean like if you think about it with your squat and deadlift you are going to get like a bit of crosstalk in the training you're doing there whereas it's usually guys who have like the kind of barrel chests and the mm-hmm. kind of shorter, uh, the shorter like humerus, like shorter yeah. upper arm, they're like pushing the most weight in the bench. Then everybody after that is just kind of like, this is just a lift I have to kind of get through. <laughs> um, yeah. But there is like, there is, I suppose, you can manipulate the lift to kind of suit your mechanics a bit more. Like, yeah. you know, you can have your fingers out towards like the end ring and like that's like your mass grip, whereas like, you know, that's that's the max you're allowed and if you have a wider grip i mean the bar is going to be a bit closer to your chest yeah. so if you have long arms it's going to be a bit more beneficial than if you are any good at arching you can yeah. manipulate your torso angle to be a bit closer to the chest again mm. i suppose that is one thing that is kind of people outside of powerlifting probably yeah. don't <laughs> they hate yeah. on a lot you know the arching aspect yeah um, and i mean i can kind of see why because you know if you go into a regular gym and you don't see anybody arching you're like this yeah. how a bench press is done you see somebody who literally has two inches of range of motion it, it's it's within the rules of the sport like i mean and within any sport like athletes are going to take advantage of the rules to maximize their performance yeah yeah, yeah. you know but it's all it, it like a, a few of my clients have asked me about that like in the past in terms of when we go into benches like why do they do that and stuff and it's like what i always come back to is the way you 
you perform an exercise is based on what you're trying to specifically get out of the exercise. There's no right or wrong way to perform the exercise, you know, like you're just putting more stress or less stress on specific kind of musculature or specific joints. Or as you said, if you're just training to bench a really, really heavy weight, then train the way that allows you to bench the heaviest weight. Don't lift in a way that's just going to put, I don't know, that's going to get the maximum amount of hypertrophy or activate the most pectoral kind of muscles or whatever, or or triceps or whatever. Yeah. Like at the end of the day, it is a, it's a, it's a, it is a skill-based sport as opposed to just like the bigger guys got to win, you know, Um, even you'll see within weight classes, it's not necessarily the guy who's on the dotted weight class that is winning. A lot of time it is, but it's not necessarily always the guy that is the most muscular that's winning either. Like there is a, there's a huge skill component to it. And like, it's really impressive when you watch, you watch the IPF. So like the IPF is like uh, the International Paralympic Federation. They'd be the ones that are kind of most closely linked to the Olympics. Uh, it's drug tested federation. And like to watch that is incredibly impressive because yeah. you have these guys who like, for the most part, a lot of them lift even more than guys who are taking gear, you know? Yeah. And, and if you look at the guys between the seven, like the 66 kilo weight class to like the 93, they're regular size guys but they're lifting like insane weights it's specificity isn't it like that's what you just said it it is a skill-based sport and like that's what i'm trying to say is every single sport is a skill-based sport like i always come back to look at look at habib like in the ufc like he doesn't look like the most muscular and bloke that's in that weight division but he fucking ragdolls every single person in that weight division because he has the skill of sambo or wrestling or whatever and body manipulation same thing in terms of like um like if you compared usain bolt and johan blake like johan blake is a fucking animal but that doesn't necessarily mean that that's going to lead to optimal uh, sprint mechanics. You said both still going to smoke them. Well, maybe not anymore, but would have. But you can apply that to every yeah, yeah. every sport. And we forget that about lifting weights. You think it's just brawn, but it is a skill like um, that has to be trained yeah. specifically. But yeah, moving on from the powerlifting stuff, I suppose you touched on it there that you're in Spain now. And yeah. what, what spurred the move to Spain? So I suppose I was here last summer, like my girlfriend, she has a place uh, out here. Uh, so it's her dad's place. So we are, yeah, we're just here now. We came out after the lockdown was announced in December, purely because like, I suppose we didn't think that the gyms were going to open back up at the end of January. So she's doing all her college online. I work completely online. So it was kind of a better decision to come out here, really, Um I mean, cost of living is mad cheap. We just rent a car. Yeah. <laughs> it's fucking freezing in Dublin the last two days as well. Like, we had a good good sun there a couple of days ago, and now it's just like they're saying it's going to snow on Monday, so you're definitely in the right place to get your vitamin D. How were you coping in Ireland before the move, like, in terms of you were training out the back? I was keeping up with the Instagram stories. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. When I was at home, to be honest, I was completely happy out and even if I was forced to come home now like obviously it wouldn't be as good as being here but training at the back isn't the worst I mean it was a very 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 good investment buying all the equipment when I did I think I bought it after two weeks of the first lockdown this time last year in March because uh, it's just like yeah unlikely that 
are going to be in the gym anytime soon. So that was a good decision. But in terms of when I was at home, it was it was interesting because I had just decided that I was going to go fully online in November, just as the gyms were starting to reopen again. So that was a bit of a weird period because, you know, coming up to Christmas is always going to be a bit be a bit weird when you're kind of working with people online because you're mm-hmm. kind of in this weird limo, limbo of like, you have people that might want to start, uh, but you also have clients that are like, look, the next three weeks are just going to be a shit show realistically <laughs> in terms yeah. of uh, making any kind of sol- solid progress because there's going to be nights, nights out, haven't seen friends in a long time because of this, the previous yeah. lockdown. Then I suppose coming up to Christmas week when they announced there's going to be another lockdown to January is just seemed like the yeah. right time to get out and over here. So the restrictions are like certainly not as bad. Uh, I think the in- interesting thing about Spain is when we had our first lockdown, they had a very, very like strict lockdown. Like they like you weren't even allowed to go up, go to the shops unless you had like permission from like the fucking Guardia Civil. Jesus. Uh, like pe- people were even renting dogs to you let go outside and walk because you weren't allowed to go outside to exercise, but if you had a pet, you could go walk it. So people were renting dogs, which is like hilarious compared to like like our, our situation wasn't that bad at all, like last year. Whereas yeah. now, like pretty much all the provinces have said, we're not doing it again because it fucked our economy. Like yeah. tourism was fucked. Over here, like the restaurant kind of business is almost like one of their main kind of yeah. uh, breadwinners, you know? Yeah. So over here, it's just kind of like wear a mask everywhere. And once you're wearing a mask, once you sanitize your hand, keeping distance, uh, pretty much like everything is open. Uh, so at the moment, things are open till nine o'clock here. Mm. However, in the first month, the situation in Valencia kind of deteriorated. So we had to escape to Sevilla oh, nice. in, in February until the middle of March. It's just masks everywhere, really. Yeah, yeah. That's not the worst, to be fair, as well. That's like, um, uh, like I was in Singapore. It wasn't even. I think Ireland were just going into their first lockdown back in like 2020, March. Like when, when Leo yeah. said it'd be two weeks, we'll see you all again. Um, and we mm. had uh, we had a lockdown in Singapore. And like that, it sounds like what they were initially doing. You weren't allowed to meet anyone. No one like outside. And I was living on my own as well. So you were allowed to go to the shop. You had to wear a mask everywhere. If you were pictured not wearing your mask, you got uh, six months in jail and a 12 or a $3,000 fine. And they were encouraging people to take photos of people that weren't wearing masks and, and stuff like that, or people that were oh meeting up with people. So I was kind of like, I did it for a couple of months. I was just sitting in the gaff by myself and was grand. And then I, like I was seeing Ireland was back open. And I was like, oh, I'll get back to Ireland. But now Singapore are pretty much normal. Like they're just not allowing people in. And it just goes, it kind of goes to show like if Ireland, I know we're in no position to be making these statements, but if Ireland yeah. had done the short term, really strict lockdown, it may have benefited down the line. Because that's the reason I didn't yeah. go back to Singapore was I would have had to do a 14 day or an 18 day quarantine that was going to cost me 1500 to do. And Jesus, yet yeah. they're only that was back in uh, August of last year. Like now Ireland are like, geez, we might do that soon. You know? Yeah, I think. I don't know, I suppose the situation at home just hasn't been good at all. Like, I think the fact that I can see somewhere like here is just kind of living with it now. Um, yeah. Whereas in Ireland, like, everything is still closed. I'm not really giving people much room to breathe either. Yeah. It's uh, it's pretty sad. Like, you know, I think people should be allowed to have a bit of kind of trust to yeah. kind of take a bit of responsibility. Mm-hmm. But then again, 
I'm not in uh, charge of public health. And I don't know. Exactly. I don't know how to make how to how they make those decisions anyway. So <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And we're very biased as well towards the health industry because like we're both working in it. So we're like let people do oh, yeah. healthy behaviors and be healthy and be strong enough to be able to fight off the virus rather than keeping them cooped up inside where they're not exercising, as you said, unless they have the luxury that we yeah. have of buying equipment and they're probably not getting enough vitamin D and they're probably working really, really long hours online. So that's kind of contradictory. But like, as I said, everybody has their own biases. And obviously because we make money off one industry, yeah. we're going to be biased towards that. Yeah, I suppose that's that's one thing I think I think about a bit in terms of like, while I am definitely biased, like the people at, at the top are making these decisions for a reason. And yeah. like, I think as personal trainers, fucking online coaches yeah. uh, or like influencers online, we have no place to be kind of questioning yeah. what like the policy that they're putting in. Um, yeah. We only have maybe a place to maybe put up some posts related to nutrition, yes, training exactly. online trying to persuade people what they should do yeah yeah exactly. it's not our place yeah that was my my favorite thing ever was uh <laughs> bill burr on joe rogan when joe rogan's like bill what do you think about the masks and he's like what the fuck are we doing here joe <laughs> me and you aren't in a position to talk about the masks i just look at the news i see we wear a mask we're not wearing masks okay we're wearing them i'll put one on like and he's so right like they're making decisions oh, yeah. for a reason but everybody has an idea of their own importance and it's like as you said like they want to voice their opinion and online it's just like oh well this shouldn't be happening this shouldn't be happening but i know it sounds a bit stupid but like like we just have to get on with it until things improve and we are there to serve the public in that we can try and help them as best we can to sort out their nutrition and sort out their health within the parameters that are, are on us at the moment within the restraints that are on us at the moment yeah. but um to move on you said you went fully online coaching mm-hmm. i didn't know you were you were planning on doing that anyway but i just wanted to ask are you, even though you did it in november or whatever are you missing the in-person coaching at all oh yeah definitely like i i, I think about that recently like it would definitely would be something that i would love to go back to in the future because mm. i mean it is fun to kind of be training people in person and even just like chatting with people throughout today. I think that's one of the kind of downsides of like the online side of things. Mm. Like you might only talk to people, uh, to people through a screen. Like even when I'm doing yeah. check-ins, like I'm for the most part just talking to a screen uh, and then maybe getting like, you know, a text response or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it wasn't for being with my girlfriend here, I'd be pretty much alone most mm-hmm. of the time, uh, which is which is complete opposite to when you're working in the gym. Like when you're yeah. working in a gym, you're talking to members you're talking to clients you're talking to other other pts like it was a nice environment but it was kind of a, it was the right move to make in well for one for job security in yeah. terms of like you know the gym's closing uh, but as well just in terms of time like when i was work, when i was in the gym like a lot of days were up at five home at nine and like it's very very heavy yeah. even in terms of even in terms of like you know trying to keep up education it's very difficult when you're oh, yeah. like doing like 30 sessions a week doing classes trying to do your own training yeah. as well so in terms of your own training like as you said up at five and home at nine like i just found like when i stopped doing all the in person like the really long hours in person my recovery just was like went tenfold like because like yeah. you have aches and pains in the morning because you like regardless as if you're getting the right amount of sleep 
if you come home and you're after training somebody eight to nine, you're like still hyped. You're still pumped. Like your, your blood flow is still going. You're still wide awake and you're not getting the same quality of sleep. And you're eating late at night yeah. as well because you've no other opportunities throughout the day, really. Yeah, well, I suppose like, yeah, if you have those long days, like you spend a lot of it on your feet, like you could finish the day with 25, 30,000 steps. Yeah. Plus as well, doing your training, like it's a lot of stress for you to be recovering from and then even like when you're actually when you're actually eating your meals like you're probably scoffing them down because yeah. you don't have much time to eat them and just a bit more stressed overall because you have yeah. places to be like yeah <laughs> nutri bullets are the key for the calories yeah 100 <laughs> like i was yeah. uh, i remember when i was at my busiest in person i was trying to like i god knows what you when you were in a bulking phase what you were eating but for a little fella like me and i was on my feet all day as well i was up over four thousand calories a day and I was still struggling mm. to put on weight because, as you said, you don't even notice when you're coaching how much, how active you are, like, and how many steps you're doing, especially when you're on pitch. Because in the gym, you might have to demonstrate an exercise or whatever. But if I'm demonstrating running mechanics or if I'm demonstrating a drill or something, like, I look at my whoop. I wear, I use a whoop now. We might get on yeah. to that after. But uh, I look at that and, like, it could have 800 calories burned in a 45-minute session. like, And I'm like, I didn't feel out of breath or anything. I just like was coaching like that's what happens um yeah so some of the days when i when i was working in the gym like i i would be teaching classes as well so i could be t- teaching like three spin classes oh, a day plus fuck that. yeah plus plus doing like whatever like t- like a condition class but like i wouldn't take part in the condition class but yeah there's a lot of me walking up and down and yeah. like you know fucking jumping shouting. around even just, just shouting like you know and that yeah that is like I suppose that is an added stress, isn't it? Like yeah. at the end of the day, like I remember the many times getting into bed and your like legs and body would just be like vibrating. <laughs> You're like, I used to be up in six hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, that's the worst feeling ever. Worst yeah. And then like, that's the thing as well that I found when you take on so much in-person clients is the quality of your coaching drops because you don't have the same energy to give to each client. Like if you're going to have to be up at, in six hours, like you can drink, you can drink two espressos if you want, but it's just masking the fact that you're bollocks and your quality of coaching isn't yeah. there. So you're doing them a little bit of a disservice in a sense to have 40 hours of in-person clients a week. Oh yeah, definitely. And then, then as well, if like for any reason, coaching somebody that, you know, is just kind of sandbagging it and not really giving the full attention and you're turning up to be there half six, then you out of bed and then they turn up 10 minutes late and you're just like, yeah. That's what I was just about to say. The five minutes. It is very tough, but I suppose that's part of it, isn't it? I think that's one thing they don't teach you when you are like in PT school or trying to get into the business. Like you're not going to be working with your dream clients. You're not going to be working working with people who are super motivated to be there. You're going to have a lot of different personalities coming in. You're going to have a lot of different motivation levels coming in, and you just have to kind of deal with that and try to kind of still get the person the result they want. You know, I think that's one thing. That I suppose I think you wanted to touch on, but like working as a PT, working as a trainer, you have to wear so many different kind of hats. Like you know, you're you're the trainer, you're the psychologist, you're the nutritionist, mm. you're the fucking, you're the accountant, you're the customer service, you're the marketing specialist. Like there's so many things they have to take care of, and yeah. yeah, it's it's a lot to take on. It is like it's so. That's another thing that's so tiring. If you know that, like it might sound. But it's the truth. Like if you have a client coming in or whatever and you know they're going through a really rough patch and you have to 
just be such an avid listener and participate in listening to what their problems are and giving them advice and stuff. It's real mentally and emotionally taxing. And like that's never touched on ever in, in your training whatsoever. You just have to figure that out as you go. Yeah, I suppose just kind of trying to be good human as well, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. And that's that's what you, as a coach, that's kind of what you have to do, I suppose. You're kind of, you're there to help them along as well, but you also have to set an example too. And that's not really touched on near as enough. Like we talk about like, like even two of us should start, we talk about variations, we talk about refs, we talk about sets, we talk about all that stuff. We don't nearly talk about the actual process and the, the art of coaching and um, dealing with different personalities and stuff as much. And it, they probably should put some a little bit more into the education on that side, because at the end of the day, that's what gets your retention, really. Like people have to trust you and people have to enjoy working with you if you're going to retain them. Like they don't really care as such well they do care i suppose in terms of the results that they're getting but they're not going to keep working with you if they don't enjoy it yeah i think they in like the kind of pt courses they probably uh do away with some of the like physical assessments like can this person do an overhead squat and replace mm-hmm. that with maybe more the psychological yeah. like assessments because realistically in a session like you're going to assess the per- what the person has in terms of their range of motion at joints and stuff like that and what the person can and can't do mm. uh like to start off with kind of build your program around that but the psychological aspect is like are they going to show up to the gym when you're not there like yeah. when, when like for the other sessions they might have planned or they're going to do the stuff outside the gym that's going to take them towards their goal because yeah, if you meet with a personal trainer one, two, three hours a week, like you have the rest of your week to take control of. And if you haven't really been assessed for what you are able to do at the moment, it doesn't really matter. Like the kind of physical as- aspect can be looked at in the sessions, but psychological aspect, the outside elements are yeah. so much greater. Oh yeah. And it's the habits as well. Like in terms of like, that's why I always tell my clients is like, you're with me one, maybe two hours a week. How many hours are you outside the gym? that are going to contribute to your performance more than yeah. that one or two hours that are with me. And they, they kind of like, they can be great and they can focus in for that one hour or that two hours. But if they're not doing the things outside the gym that are going to help them to adapt and get the, the results that they're after, then it's not going to happen for them. And that's what I was going to say, just to touch on in terms of your delivery of your online programming, what are you seeing as the common kind of mainstays throughout the program in terms of, like uh, how you're checking in or is it all very very individual yeah i suppose i do follow a similar kind of process with a lot of people just because i suppose i've kind of refined what i've have found kind of works mm-hmm. initially like so generally in the first month of somebody working with me like i'm really just looking to see if they can stick to a plan <laughs> yeah. and just trying to build some foundational habits like making sure that they are eating even three four meals a day like and like at regular times as opposed to remembering just to eat in the evening making sure that they're doing like something basic like drinking enough water eating enough fruit and veg eating enough protein Mm. uh, just having some kind of consistency with their showing up to train and then from there once they've kind of nailed a lot of those things then we can maybe start working on maybe the main goal to count me for because like realistically if somebody's coming to you for say a fat loss goal or performance goal Mm. uh, or like a muscle gain goal or whatever if they don't have the kind of like basic habits, like the kind of foundations in place, like them getting towards their goal, is going to take far, far longer. There's yeah. going to be a lot more kind of bottlenecks. Don't get me wrong. There definitely will be some stumbling blocks, but like it, if you don't kind of take care of those kind of things first, 
it's going to be a much harder process. And at the end of the day, like as a coach, you do have to take a lot of responsibility for like if the client is going to be like you know in a position where they're not seeing results, regardless of whether they're doing the stuff that you're kind of asking to, you do have to take a bit of kind of responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Of like could I make this planet a bit more suitable to them? Like could I have made that a bit easier for them to do? You know, so they're just kind of things that I do kind of think about when I am making yeah. an approach. That's that's really hard, isn't it? Because we're always like really big on self-reflection and stuff and when you get a client that comes to you and it doesn't work out and they think it they're like oh it's grand i paid him sure i i paid my coach so he made money off it was like but they don't realize how to heart you take it and how much you self-examine the process and what you could have done differently because if they don't get the results as you said it's on you too it's not just on them yeah because i suppose at the end of the day like a lot of like how many people if they don't get the result they're going to be like yeah no it was completely on my fault like uh i didn't do the work like they're gonna be yeah. like yeah no like, i didn't really see much results with him like you know the yeah. program wasn't great like and really like a lot of us as coaches like like we're, none of us have any kind of special sauce or special tricks like a lot of it is the kind of same one day and kind of have like have a building yeah. and making sure like yeah somebody can follow a plan we don't have secret exercises that we're yeah. doing like you know my the way i teach nordiel <laughs> is probably very similar to how you teach nordiel you know and it's really just like the hardest part to communicate is like right this is a goal you want and this could take you a year or yeah. more does that sound okay and <laughs> like to a lot of people that's a huge investment to make because like i have to do this like every single week <laughs> i do these things every day for a year and you're like yeah like yeah. you could maybe more yeah yeah but you know, as, so as you as you touched on there, like in terms of all the stuff you mentioned that the initial first month period is all very basic stuff. And sometimes they're like, when you give them that kind of general prep stuff in the first month or whatever, they're like, this is too easy. This is too basic. I'm, I need more advanced stuff. And they're like, no, nail these. And then when it comes to what you said in terms of, I have to do this for a year. It's like, yeah, but if you can do this for a month or if you can do it for two months, we won't need to track all these small little things because you've built the habits yeah. that will trust you. But they, they'd see it all so immediate. And it's like, I have to do this every day for the rest of my life if I'm going to reach my goals and stuff. And it's, it's a tough one. An interesting one that I heard recently is just to touch on what you said about that all the info being the same for all the coaches all across the world. Somebody used the analogy, it was, there's tons of recipes all over the world, but there's also about 10 people that are the best head chefs in the world that have access to all the same recipes yeah. as everybody else. And what, what yeah, would you be your it. thoughts on that? Like, Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, like, yeah, again, like anybody can put like exercises down on paper, but like after maybe the first month, are you really sure on how to progress that? Or even if you do put those exercises down on a piece of paper, you might think, okay, well, coming up to month two, like I can't just leave the program as is. I have to change it because like I'm, I'm getting paid for this. And that's one thing that I always have to remind myself is, is like, they're not paying me to change your program. They're paying me to get the result. And for a lot of people, it's really just going to be continuing to repeat the process. If they're getting results block after block, like you don't have to make a change just because... Just because you want to make you a change, feel, like yeah, because you feel like I suppose you might be like, oh, this person's gonna think of doing nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but it's how progress is made, really. It's the yes, consistent, mundane, kind of repetitive approach. Yeah. Something stops working, then change, change something, change a small variable, don't yeah. kind of disrupt. Like uh, I suppose too much, too much noise blocks the signal, isn't it? So yeah. if you change too many things, 
yeah you don't really know what has been working yeah that's something that i've stopped myself at times like i always particularly in some of kind of the higher performance clients and i'm doing their programming and stuff and for the next week and i look at it and i'm like hang on a second now am i putting in this exercise because it's needed or am i just putting in this exercise to put in this exercise because if if you start doing that putting in an exercise to put in an exercise it, where does it stop like you're just gonna end up with a program of absolute rubbish as you said in terms of the power lifted like something that i've really gone back to in recent weeks is just like compound lifts like you just can't beat them yeah if somebody has like access to the equipment they're proficient at doing them like why why not you know uh so they have they've been around for as long as barbells have existed yeah. for a reason like and like are they going to be the best thing to train a specific muscle group like possibly not but i mean they train a lot of things at once and they're yeah. very convenient. You know, somebody has a few of my clients like would have maybe only 45 minutes to train uh, and they can only maybe train three days a week. And like, I'm not going to, to train their quads or to train their legs. I'm not going to put in 10 different exercises to hit like their quads and they're like a shortened range and length and range and fucking like just yeah, utilize yeah. every single muscle in their body. Like if I can do it through a squat, if I can do it through an ordeal or a deadlift, like that's what they're gonna do and a lot of people do just enjoy that a lot of people still like unless you're kind of a higher level bodybuilder if somebody who has very specific needs uh a lot of people just do like to do the compound lifts they like to get in get out get the result and go that's what, yeah exactly that's why i was trying to explain someone yesterday because like oh we were going to get onto this i do at some stage as well but in terms of instagram you see all these fancy bullshit exercises and they have like fucking tons and tons of likes and shares like and i get sent them all the time what do you think of this and i'm just always like that's bullshit the the stuff that's around for the longest time is around for the longest time for a reason there's very little that comes in to revolutionize training ever and usually i was explaining this yesterday in a kind of jokey way usually when something comes in to revolutionize somebody's like oh i have this fantastic new training methodology look at it it's a it's amazing the Russians from the from the, uh, <laughs> the Eastern Bloc from uh, the 1950s, like yes, we have been doing this for 50 years. Look at this textbook, and it's like they just <laughs> they just have it all. Like there's very little. So, what would yeah. be your pet peeve in terms of on Instagram and fanciness uh, in terms of exercises or in terms of the fitness in- industry as a whole online? What what are you hating on at the moment? Um, in terms of exercise, I wouldn't really have much because I suppose to touch on what you kind of mentioned there, like, yeah, I suppose one thing people say is like, don't reinvent the wheel. It's like, well, if you make the wheel from like, you know, something that was kind of not as good to something that's better, like go, go for it, like, you know. Um, but in terms of what I kind of don't like to see Instagram at the moment would be, I say, uh, like coaches hating on kind of other coaches. Like, I think it's a pretty... It's, it's real kind of like, oh, some coaches do this, I yeah. do this. Like, you know, it's yeah. a bit of a kind of, <laughs> kind of flex. And it's like, look, really, nobody is really going to be benefiting yeah. from that because you just seem bitter and you're kind of yeah. trying to put other people down as well. It's kind of maybe erode some kind of trust for yeah. that people might have in coaches for maybe certain methods. Now, can you not like what another coach is doing or yeah. other coaches are doing? Like, absolutely. But you don't need to post about it. Like, just mm. carry on with your usual business. It's a... That's a zero sum game if like you know you're just yeah. kind of shooting other coaches and oh, like realistically 
realistically, like, you know, if you're good at what you do, uh, you shouldn't feel so insecure to kind of take other coaches down. Like, I'm not scared about somebody trying to take clients off me. Yeah. Um, like, I mean, realistically, in this kind of business, people gravitate towards the person yeah. as opposed to anything, anything else. Like, yeah. So, yeah. So if, if somebody's going to come work with me, they probably like what I do or like yeah. what I put out. So, like, if you're trying to if you're trying to take somebody down, like, yeah, yeah, probably uh, look at yourself first. <laughs> yeah, this is what um, this is a common theme that's coming up because myself and Sam Portland touched on this last week as well, and we were talking about how the industry is going to grow, and that is something that just needs to be got out of the industry. And what his answer was: the only way that we can grow as coaches, and the only way that the industry can grow, is if we self-reflect, not by looking at what other people are doing but looking at what we're doing and how we can improve it and ourselves not tearing others down because it just comes across as like we're just a bunch of children like that are just trolling on each other and it's also just a lot of unnecessary energy um to be given into something negative which just drives me fucking demented anyway do this is another one that i wanted to ask you because and it probably touches on it's a good carryover from what we were just talking about because of all this um kind of what would you call a coaching hierarchy or uh bitterness between coaches and stuff do you think there's a a stigma around online coaching at all as a profession i think yes in a way like i know myself like i suppose the the barrier to entry is too damn low yeah um you know anybody can just say that they're a like anybody can say they're an online coach, even anybody can say they're like a nutritionist, like, you know, because that's a protected term, whereas dietitian is, yeah. uh, which I think does kind of need to be, it doesn't need to be regulated. You know, I think at the bare minimum, you should have like your PT cert. Like I know there is online coaches who don't have a PT cert. And that's one thing that when I started out at the very, very start, when I got my, my PT cert, I said, right, I'm an online coach now. And I took on a few people, like three people. And once I started PT in the gym and seeing how actually the like the fitness level that people start off at, uh, what they can do, uh, what they can even just manage to do in terms of tracking, like I was like, oh my god, I, I should give those three people all their money back because like I completely fucked it. Like you know, I was giving yeah. them like way too advanced workouts, yeah. like because my only experience was. I trained myself, so I've made this progress. This works, so I'm gonna, yeah. Yeah, you know, and I mean, you can get, like, stuff online, but I think lived experience definitely yeah. helps a lot. And, like, even in terms of, like, the dieting aspect of things, like, I put myself through multiple, multiple diets, and I think even just from a aspect of putting somebody else through the diet, at least I kind of know what they're kind of going through. Whereas if somebody's just coming straight into the game, they're like, that seems like a, a cushy job to have i'm yeah. going to start posting uh, my meals and stuff like that and going to yeah. start taking on clients like realistically we are the kind of the step between i suppose we're the first kind of line of healthcare really yeah. before somebody goes to a physio or a doctor or a dietitian so like there should be a lot more kind of weight put into what we are doing yeah because like we can seriously like destroy somebody's relationship with food oh, stop. somebody's body image uh, we can seriously injure somebody if, we, if we're not careful with what we're doing or how we're even speaking to them for somebody to just come in and just be like i'm an online coach now yeah it's not really good and i think a lot of people do see that like you know there's mm. every now and again there is like trends of kind of jobs like you know 
yeah, you're you're either like a, a barber or you're a fucking DJ or tattoo artist. <laughs> tattoo yeah. artist, like you know, there's lots, lots of things. I know you could be a fucking a crypto fucking genius. Yeah. yeah. So like, there's like all all these kind of different professions that people could just roll through. But I think ours is definitely like you know, if you're yeah. if you decide you want to be a barber and you fuck up somebody's hair, that's not really a big issue. It's gonna grow back. If somebody loses a bit of money with you on your kind of uh, FX scheme, yeah, like, you know, big deal. They can earn it back. But yeah. if you like destroy somebody's relationship with food or body yeah. image or injure them, that's gonna take a lot of time to gain back, and somebody else has to clean it up. Exactly. A load of points there that really resonated with me. But like in terms of. When I first got into strength and conditioning a good while ago now, like four, five years ago, I'd say, um, I don't understand the the sense of confidence that all these people have that get into it immediately. And they're like, yeah, going to start posting now. I've, I have the start a week and I'm going to go. When I, w- when I got in, I was terrified because I had like serious mm. imposter syndrome for years. And I was like, if I put something up, people are going to take the piss out of me. And the stuff that yeah. I post that you always love and you always comment on, I always post the mistakes that I've made because we've made like, that's how you, yeah. you learn because you make tons of mistakes in the years when you start off. And two of us know, like we're still not the finished article. You have no, to keep keep all. working on your education. Um, but yeah, how, how are you managing with education at the moment? Are you, are you finding time to do it since you're just doing the online? Yeah, way, way more time. I think like now I have like my days structured so much better. Uh, like I do have like kind of a minimum kind of target of having 30 minutes of education done. Yeah. But like mo- most of my most of my kind of main kind of work, like my check-ins, they're going to be done on a Monday and Tuesday. And then after that, it's pretty much just time for education, really, just to either produce content for my client my clients or to try to educate myself so i can produce more uh, content for your clients but yeah so all good i'm doing mac nutrition university at the moment so that's going okay i finished like i did pn like during the first lockdown and that was that was good as well so doing a few webinars across the week as well just to yeah. kind of keep up with uh, the kind of latest information yeah 100 percent. that's what some people don't understand about the profession as well is like when you say like oh what you do now it's like i'm studying i was like you graduated years ago (laughs) i'm like yeah but yeah but i have to keep keep up with the trends and i have to keep up with what my clients are consuming as well because if i don't understand it then i'm not going to be able to help them around it but in terms of education one thing that i thought would be uh a good thing to go into now is your content creation and stuff and you're coming out with a podcast soon which we're all eagerly anticipating oh, yeah. um when, when's the launch gonna be and what is the goal why did you start uh, or think that you're gonna start a podcast yeah so i'm starting it with uh one of my friends lawrence king he is uh, a sports science researcher in carlo so he's pretty intelligent he's definitely a more intelligent than me and i think he's kind of it's going to help with the podcast so in terms of launch date we don't necessarily have a set date at the moment uh, at the moment we're just kind of building up building up kind of content so that we have a bank yeah. to kind of rely on and kind of push out over time and um, so it's going to be called the strength syndicate podcast and uh, it's going to be mainly just revolving around all things strength so since lawrence's background is in kind of research he's going to go through kind of more kind of 
like the kind of science side maybe whatever we're talking about and yeah. as i my my kind of experience is more practical that's where kind of uh, my my part will come into but yeah uh in terms of like where we think it's going to go we don't really know it's going to take, yeah, take yeah, yeah. week by week uh, but yeah definitely we'll be looking to get some kind of guests on in the future we're kind of thinking more kind of people based in ireland as well because i mean there's plenty of podcasts doing you know the eric helms uh fucking mike two shares all that and i think it could be a good idea just kind of like you're doing kind of getting voices within the country because realistically in in ireland people are going to come toward come to coaches in ireland as opposed yeah. to going to like the big hot shots in like the states or whatever yeah. so it's a uh, good to give people a voice in within the country the batman and robin of uh strength science is what you're going to be known yeah, as from yeah. now on what one thing that i will say is you said he's more intelligent than you intelligence has many forms my man as you will know so don't be shooting yourself down like that um <laughs> that's one thing that i think that is interesting though in terms of like obviously I did sports science undergraduate and then I did uh, strength and conditioning afterwards. It's as we touched on earlier, they, they focus so much on the science and there's not enough practical application so that you've had minimal exposure to coaching by the time you get out and then you're like, okay, I want to be a coach. You don't know where to start. So that's definitely something that needs to change. Is that been similar in your experience? Like when you finished your course? A lot of theory, yeah. We we spent far more of the actual practical side doing the fucking exercise to music, like dancing aerobics. <laughs> oh, don't like, get me started. <laughs> way, way more time in that than the actual, like you know, this is how you can teach somebody how to deadlift. Yeah. And even with the like, even with the practical side of things, like you know, the the people who were teaching the course, they had very set ways and how they were going to do things. Like I did, I did have like a few arguments with like like one of the lectures over just kind of small things like he was saying that you know you have to eat six meals a day if you want to lose weight and I was like I was like no you don't like yeah. I was like did, did you not just go through the thermic effect of feeding and how like you know if you divide six meals like similar calories over three meals that you burn the same amount of calories over the day and it's like it's like well, this is just what the research says and I was like no sir that was what not. Like, <laughs> you can pick and choose research from all over to prove everything yeah. as we know like um the boys yeah, on Joe so- Rogan do a good job of that <laughs> yeah yeah exactly good cherry picking but yeah yeah no i think there was a very very lack of the kind of practical element of it and yeah i suppose when you go into you don't really know how to train people until you start training people in real life you know there's definitely fuck-ups i made when i when i first started even in terms of yeah as i mentioned setting up people's training but like you know even when you're working with people who have different kind of structures you're like all right well maybe this person <laughs> probably shouldn't squat like <laughs> yeah like, exactly it, like they're definitely not working their quads <laughs> you know so yeah it's just that, I suppose you learn as you go yeah that's something that like you learn as you go like as you said you learn as you go because when you come in first you don't think you know a lot and then you go up and you think you know everything and then all of a sudden something hits and you're like shit there's like endless amount of ways to do something as we said uh, earlier as you said about the wheel like you don't have to reinvent the wheel but yeah. you can make the wheel slightly better there's many roads lead to Rome but some roads are shorter than others if somebody's going on a slightly longer route online there's no need for you to just say well my road is quicker just yeah, leave them yeah. leave them on their own road they'll get there eventually but like they'll get there in their own way and that's I suppose that's something that we forget and something that we need to carry out a little bit more so before we finish up 
I'm going to do the quick fire questions. So the first one is your proudest accomplishment to date can be pertaining to anything whatsoever. I, I'd say my proudest accomplishment to date is just being where I am at the moment. Um, I think one of the, one of the other questions you kind of were going to ask was about like what I'd tell my 18 year old self and kind of similar to, yeah, similar to that. Like I'd say everything's going to be grand. So just keep on doing what you're doing because everything's going to work out. Like if I told myself when I was 18 that I'd be in the position I'm in, I'd be pretty fucking happy. So yeah. yeah. Class. Brilliant. Uh, then some of the little bit more obscure questions. First one is your favorite rugby player Maybe of rugby. all time. Chabal. Sebastian Chabal. <laughs> oh, what a player. What a man. Have you seen the video of him uh, in the in the tutu singing at the sevens one time? Yeah. Yeah. I, see, I used to have used to have long hair down to my shoulders. <laughs> and when I started playing rugby, all the lads called me Cheval. <laughs> Uh, there you go. There you go. Um, he goes lots of water. <laughs> <laughs> and less hairy, probably. Who is playing you in the Story Strength movie? I'd like to think Matthew McConaughey. He's a cool guy. <laughs> yeah, 100%. He need to bulk up, man. Yeah. He, need <laughs> he to needs up. to bulk up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. Like. Uh, especially yeah. after Dallas Buyers Club, he he's oh, stop, yeah. it'd be more it'd be more the kind of Magic Mike type Matthew McConaughey that would be playing you, and he still oh, might yeah. have to <laughs> put on a few, put on a few kegs too. Um, so one that we, has been a recurring theme in the last couple of podcasts: who would win the fight, a gorilla or a grizzly bear? I'd like to think the gorilla. If like it depends on the terrain as well, like you know where where are they fighting? Like you know if like if the gorilla has home advantage, like obviously he's gonna win because. He could just swing out of a tree and just like land on top of the grizzly grizzly bear. Then that's done, you know. So <laughs> he's home advantage. He'll have the fans behind him as well, like you know. So yeah, exactly. So <laughs> that's an interesting one. Nobody's gone in that in that kind of line yet. So um, happy that you're the first one that said gorilla as well. Actually, I was kind of thinking gorilla initially, and my opinion has been slightly skewed or swayed recently. But thank God somebody said gorilla eventually. Um, <laughs> What meal or food are you loving at the moment? Obviously, you're in Spain, so there's going to be something. Just Japanese food at the moment. Gyozas <laughs> are kind of like my kind of weak point at the moment. <laughs> I didn't think you were going to say that. You're in Spain. <laughs> yeah, so uh, Japanese food. Um, They're actually mad for Japanese food over here. Are they, yeah? Fucking everywhere. Yeah. Well, that's lucky you then, I everywhere. suppose. What's yeah. a gyoza? It's, a, it's like a little dumpling. has like, I don't know, it's like fucking some kind of pastry paper with pork inside it oh nice pretty fucking good decent macros no, probably not <laughs> if, you, if you if you fit in if you fit it in it's all good artist you've been listening to a lot recently musical artist jks he's a techno dj and outside of that pantera <laughs> uh, you're, yeah you're big into your Listen techno pan, i know that pantera are, you, when I'm training. are you missing you're into your heavy metal then as well obviously yeah, well, I used to used to be a long-haired yeah, skateboarder when I was younger. So, like, yeah, so I would have been into metal then, and like now I'm into more heavy techno. So I suppose yeah. kind of. Are you miss, missing the festivals? Is rough, oh, yeah, isn't definitely. it? Yeah, I think we we actually have a festival booked in July in Portugal, and they said that they're going to have mass outdoor events going on in July. So. See you there, buddy. <laughs> Might get to one, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, what books are you reading at the moment? Uh, I started The Irrational Ape yeah. by David Robert Grimes. So just all about kind of uh, why we leave conspiracies, propaganda, that type of stuff. So yeah, one chapter in, pretty interesting. One chapter in, good. Um, I was going to say recommend, but one chapter is probably too early to, to be saying if you recommend or not. 
that's it, my man. Appreciate you coming on. Best of luck with the Sweet. podcast. Lovely. Really enjoyable yeah. chat. As I say, with most people that come on, like we could probably go on for two hours if you wanted, but I think I just conscious of making yeah. it as concise as possible for people. Yeah, really enjoyable chat. Thanks again. Yeah, thanks for having me on.